loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today's a little different. If you listen to my show in general, you know that I pretty much always have a guest and we have a one-hour conversation uh, that has to do with grief and mourning and, and transformation. But today, I'm celebrating seven years on the air, and I thought that I would just talk about the meaning of those seven years to me some of the things that have affected me the most about this time with all my 350 or so guests over the time and how my perspective on grief has both deepened or stayed the same but more reinforced and the ways in, been, in which it's been influenced over time. I went back and listened to my very first show and what I intended for the show uh, that first show, I had someone interview me, Mariana Cacciatore, and uh, what I had intended for the show at that time is pretty much what it has become, a place where we can be inspired to think that something can come from grief that we don't expect. Um, because I'm doing this as a celebration, people don't usually call in, which I absolutely understand. We when we're in grief, uh, which many of you probably are, we like to sit still, listen, be able to overhear, not have anything required of us, etc. But today, if you would like to call in, no pressure, never any pressure, but if you would like to call in, you can call 866-472-5792. And, and we can chat on air just about things you, that have affected you on the show, or whatever you'd like to say. I, mo I also know most people listen on demand, so that's another reason that call-ins don't always happen. But please feel invited, 866-472-5792. The last time I did a show by myself without a guest was right after the 2016 election, and that event sort of crystallized some things for me that I believe crystallized because of all this time I've spent with grieving people, both in my private practice as a therapist uh, and on this show, talking with people every week who've had very deep loss and then something has been made out of it, something's come out of it. And so at that time, I was kind of thinking about what might come out of that event, which for me personally was a very painful event because of the communities that I'm a part of. Um, I'm part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, I have many, many people of color in my family. I have immigrants in my family. Um, all of the communities that were feeling pretty hard hit are in my family. So I wasn't sure how I'd get through it. And I, I, talked at that time about four things I thought I was going to need. And over these four years, that has deepened for me. 
So it came out of the show originally, and and now it has deepened. And I'll be talking about that some today, just because it feels so related to my tremendous gratitude for being able to to be on the air with all of you these last seven years. Uh, I decided I would need to grieve. I would need to have my feelings. I would need to find solace and comfort. I would need to find inspiration. And I would need to figure out actions that were resonant with me that I could take. So we'll be getting around to talking about those things and how they have kind of unfolded for me over this time. I want to acknowledge, before we even get going, the tremendous number of things that are going on right now in our world. It is the 11th of November, 2020. So it is Veterans Day. Shout out to all the veterans. I've interviewed quite a few, um, both veterans and families of veterans, families of veterans who've died or been injured. And uh, in my family, my brother-in-law is a veteran. And so I know that a military experience, which I didn't grow up with, is a very, very deep uh, experience. And so uh, a particular shout out today to veterans and their families, because we know what affects one affects all. Uh, we're also in the time of COVID. In my particular location in California, um, some of the loosening of restrictions that had just happened have been reversed because cases are up. And in my particular case, it's November. I've been almost entirely in my home since March 16th which is a tremendously long time to be home, let me tell you. <laughs> but that has been a challenge uh, and also a transformation in the sense that some things uh, have come out of it that I value, like being able to do some resiliency trainings, uh, being able to talk with people about how to use our, our challenging, what we've learned from challenging times in the past to negotiate this challenging time, which is, I think, for everyone I know, at least, um, quite substantial. And what I've been liking to say is that we're all in the ocean, but we all have different boats. So our experiences are not the same, but we all know something about a storm that's going on around us. Um, of course, this has been a, a very uh, politically charged time. The election just happened uh, last week. And um, that many people have also found quite challenging. And um, the bottom line on all of this is that I'm so grateful for what I've learned about resiliency over the course of my life. And of course, pretty much all of that comes from my hard times. Uh, most people who listen to this show know that everything that I do out in the world uh, comes from the death of, of my first wife, Joanne. Uh, last week, the 24th of October, actually, was 25 years since her death, which I find unimaginable and preposterous. And also, uh, it does feel 
like that long. My relationship to that loss in my life has moved forward over time. The name of this show is all about, uh, this show today is all about moving forward from loss, uh, not getting uh, stuck in no life, but going forward with our lives. So let me say a little bit about how this show came to be, because I think I'm just a great example of what it is I talk to other people about. Uh, after Joanne died, I was already a counselor. I started working primarily with grief. That was the first thing that came out of it, changes in me that led to me wanting to hang out with other people who were going through those changes and, and encourage them and witness them and be with them and listen to them. And... Um, Years went by, on and on and on and on, until I wanted to start putting that out in the world. And around that time, uh, my producer, Winston Price, yay, love you, man, uh, <laughs> approached me about doing a show. And this is the show that came out of some part of me right away. So this, this is something I notice about people. Uh, a lot of people who have experienced deep loss, um, things seem to kind of come by feeling your way along and less often by kind of thinking it through. That, that works less well for me than it used to. But these kind of brainstorms where I suddenly have an idea to do something that's not just about me. That's about maybe about trusting the moment, which we, which we do learn to do in grief. Uh, if we don't, the moment tends to undo us. So I think there's, there's some way that grief trains, trains us to sit with what's true and to listen more than talk. Uh, to feel more than think, perhaps, although it all comes from the brain, of course. For me, at this point in my life, everything passes through a lens of grief, which people who have not had deep loss often think, boy, that must be so depressing. But in fact, it isn't. In fact, it's enlivening. And I think that came after a period of tremendous anxiety about facing up to loss, death, big feelings, and learning how to be with them. So every single guest I've had the honor to sit with these last seven years has taught me something about how to thrive in my own life. And this may be, you know, kind of water finding its own level, but there's been a general agreement, even though I've tried my best to have a diversity of guests with a diversity of losses and a diversity of, of uh, what has come out of those losses, there has been a general agreement that facing loss, facing death, learning to navigate all that makes life a lot more positive, uh, makes life a lot more vivid. Um, there, there's, let me share a few things that people have said that speak to this. Francis Weller, who I met because of the show and who I've spent time with since, who lives 
relatively near me, not right near me, but uh, we have met in person. Uh, he wrote a beautiful book called um, The Wild Edge of Sorrow. I highly recommend it. Uh, he talks about five gates to grief, gateways to grief, and credits those gateways as leading to a deeper and fuller life when we engage in them. And he says, grief is a powerful solvent capable of softening the hardest places in our hearts. A solvent, isn't that, isn't that interesting? I'm thinking about, I used to be a carpenter. I don't talk about that on the show for sure, but I did remodeling almost entirely. And sometimes we would have old hardware that we wanted to use because it was beautiful, but it was covered with layers and layers and layers of paint. And the job was to soak the hardware in solvent to remove all the coverings and be left just with the shining metal at the end. Uh, and then to oil it up and shine it up and put it back in to enhance the building, uh, to make the window beautiful or the door. And that came to my mind as I, as I reminded myself of that quote from Francis, um, solvents remove things that are covering up the beauty. So maybe there's a way that grief does that. Uh, Alua Arthur, who's a death doula and such a beautiful soul, she says that loss is a part of our story. We can't say we love something and not also love its end. Otherwise, it is conditional love. Uh, you know, many people have tried to define unconditional love. And it, it gets into, it becomes problematic because it always seems like it means love with no boundaries. But this idea that it means loving entirely the whole span of another person's experience resonates with me very much that uh, I know when my wife was dying, I'd say, well, I, if I ever love again, it's got to be someone I can die with. And people thought I was crazy. But for me, if I didn't want to do that, why would I do anything else? And I think that's what Alua is talking about. Anita Sanchez, who had many very deep losses in her life, including the death of her by murder of her father, um, talked about how the what she, what she surmised out of grief was that we had four gifts, the power to forgive the unforgivable, the power of unity, the power of healing, and the power of hope. I love that too. So all of these speak to the basic need to allow grief, to come to terms with grief, to even invite it. I've, I've, interviewed a lot of spouses who've lost their loved ones, maybe not completely disproportional, but probably more than, than is indicated by those, uh, you know, the percentage of losses that are spouse losses, probably because I lost mine. Could be true. <laughs> and most of them say that it actually deep, deepened their connection, either someone was ill before they died and, and it was deepened in that time. I had one guest, 
uh, Mary Potter Kenyon, who wrote a book called Chemotherapy, Therapy, How Cancer Cured a Marriage, and Lucy Kalanithi, whose husband Paul uh, wrote When Breath Becomes Air. She wrote, his cancer diagnosis was like a nutcracker, getting us back into the soft, nourishing meat of our marriage. Quite a, quite a quote. So all of these are about allowing for and inviting the grief, letting the grief matter, letting giving it its space, and encouraging ourselves about it. Um, that's not easy to do. It takes practice because none of us are actually taught how to grieve when we're little kids. Um, I, I wish there was a course in that. It would do a lot more good to elementary school students to know something about that than it would to know how to read a book when it comes down to it, because they're going to learn to read most of them uh, somewhere along the line. But learning to grieve is something most of us have to learn, you know, when, when it hits us. So I'm going to end this, this segment here with a last word of encouragement about the importance of actually doing the hard emotional work of grieving. Karen Wyatt, a wonderful teacher, and she, she runs something called End of Life University, and she's written several books. She says, the breaking of your heart is necessary to allow the light of love to shine through more perfectly illuminating the path that lies before you. When you can recognize this fact, then you cannot fail to participate in love, for you are made of love and breathe love in every moment. It's just about time for our first break. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. I have a, a a uh, Instagram account, which I'm just learning how to how to really use. There's a link to my novel, An Ocean Between Them, which embodies some of these principles I'm talking about. Uh, and I'd also like to mention that if you are trying to get the word out about some product or service you have, uh, I have a large audience of uh, people looking for things that resonate with their perspectives on grief. So feel free to reach out to me if you'd like to consider sponsorship or advertising. We'd love to have you. Be back after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. 
Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I'm on my own today. There is not a guest. Uh, because I wanted to celebrate this seven years of doing doing the show Good Grief. In that period of time, many people in my life has, have died, including my mother. She was diagnosed the January after I started in November, and she died that following September. So she's laced all into this show, and as are many other people who, who I've... Uh, encountered during this this period of seven years and i suppose that's to be expected i'm not young anymore uh but of course at any time in life losses can can hit us and that's part of the point of this show to to fulfill the second thing i think is necessary for facing up to losses and that is to find solace and comfort it's amazing how many times I've heard from guests, I had this terrible loss and nobody understood and I couldn't find anybody who was speaking to my experience so I had to fill in the blank, write a book, make a book photographs, uh, compose music, whatever they ended up doing uh, there's a kind of lonely process in the beginning of grief, even though, as I well know, there are many people who are speaking their grief out, out in the world. It seems as if it's so hard to find that, unless you've had a loss before, uh, when you're actually in the beginning, uh, being clobbered by the beginning of grief. Part of that, though, I think, is that there is a part of grief that's about being alone with our feelings. That's an, a very important aspect of grief. Just as important, though, is finding solace and comfort. And although we can offer some of that to ourselves, I, I really believe it's community that most fulfills this part of grieving, that it takes finding others who honor and accept your experience and who even do practical things for you. 
I know that some things that were offered to me, both during Joanne's death and after, after her, her during her life and after her death, still come to me vividly at times. Uh, the way that people took care of us, we had a, a, a wake at our house, basically, and I knew nothing about how to do any of that, including keeping the room chilled, which wouldn't have ever occurred to me. And friends showed up, they took care of everything. I didn't have to worry about anything. I was encouraged to eat, but not forced to eat. <laughs> no forcing. <laughs> um, people from the community I didn't even know came to offer, to offer help. I, we were very blessed in community, which makes a huge difference. And um, one example particularly stands out to me, which is that a person I knew not well at all um, sent me a card with a check for $500 in it after her death and said, um, please, please receive this gift. Uh, and I hope that it will help you take just a little more time off. That was so meaningful, so meaningful. Uh, not because of the amount, not because uh, of the monetary aspect, but because there was such a recognition that I was in grief and that I might not be able to just jump back into my life as it was before. Uh, that comes to my mind repeatedly. So ways that we bring community into our grief at proper times, because sometimes you just want to be alone. Um, but I think that one thing that stands out about most of the people I've interviewed is that they had some form of support from other humans. And so I also think I want to promote the message that learning how to be good support is so essential. I interviewed uh, people who wrote a book together, Kelsey Crow and Emily McDowell. They wrote a book called There Is No Good Card for That. And it's really a book about empathy. They talk about what it means to really listen to somebody and how to offer the thing that you can offer very happily. Uh, the thing that isn't hard for you to offer. I've talked before on the show about things we were offered that, and then I was offered after Joanne's death, that we could feel the person didn't really want to. Sometimes it wasn't even their skill area, like they'd bring a meal when they didn't like cooking or that sort of thing. When people are walking around kind of fragile and, and open and, and, um, uh, unprotected, you can feel that kind of thing. So uh, an example of something very small that worked very well is I had a client whose daughter was dying, she was staying with her, and a an acquaintance, not even really a friend, would just text her a couple of times a week and say, I'm thinking about you, you don't need to reply. And that stood out as this huge thing that was done for her that wasn't hard for the other person. They, they actually were thinking about them and they just took the extra step of, of texting. So that's, um, that's something you can ask people for. 
you know, hey, don't give me anything. If you're in grief or you're in um, challenging circumstance, you can say, I really don't want you to give me anything that doesn't come naturally, uh, but keeping in touch would be wonderful. Uh, so this, this aspect of finding solace and comfort, a friend of mine who I've had on the show, very good friend, Dina Joseph, palliative care chaplain, uh, you know, talks about the need for lamenting. Uh, I love that word. We need to lament. We need to have someone hear our pain within their limits of hearing. We don't have to necessarily, a good listen often shortens the amount of time you need to lament. If we only lamented, that would be a problem. But it actually doesn't happen in my experience. We have our moment for that. And then that that passes, that evolves into something else. And I don't mean permanently. I mean, we lament, then we do something else. Then we might lament again, then we do something else. Um, so I think the bottom line on that, that I want to put out there in terms of the solace and comfort is uh, don't try to improve how someone's feeling. If their grass is too long, you might mow the lawn. That would improve the length of the grass, uh, assuming they like their grass short. But when it comes to feelings, best not to try to improve anything, uh, in my experience. It, it comes down to a, uh, a quote I love of Maya Angelou's, at the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did. They will remember how you made them feel. And I would say that most grievers want to feel accepted uh, because many grievers have trouble accepting them themselves. They want to get rid of the feelings. They want to run. <laughs> they, they want to be anywhere but where they are. And you can really be a positive influence. Encur words of encouragement, though, if you are grieving, maybe that's something you can also offer yourself, solace and comfort just some kindness. Um, so the third of my principles of how to face challenge is to find inspiration. Sometimes that can seem very difficult for people. I, I am lucky because in this, especially in this venue, in this good grief show, every week I get to find inspiration. I've had many people say over the years to me as a grief counselor when they find out what, what I do, oh, that must be so depressing. But the fact is that it's an amazing part of being human that we can go through terrible things and then go somewhere, uh, go forward from there, not ignoring the loss, but making something out of it. and. I've been incredibly privileged to uh, be exposed to many people who, who do that. Uh, let's take an example right now. So I'll, I'll say that uh, when I used to get a, a paper newspaper, now I try to do it online. It's a little different process. Now that I get an online paper, it's, it's a little harder actually. But I would, I would leave through the paper looking for 
stories that inspired me. So maybe somebody had a terrible calamity, but then they decided to help other people who had experienced that same calamity, or they they gave of themselves in a way that was very inspiring. And I always started with that news. Sometimes I didn't, depending on the day, I might not even go to the headlines. I might just look for those stories. Those would be days where I needed to find inspiration. So if we take a time like we're in right now, uh, where COVID is, um, COVID-19 is affecting a lot of communities, maybe, you know, all in different ways. I've noticed that there is an aspect of, of being very bereft that we can't do this or that, or that things are dangerous, whatever it might be. But there also is um, quite a bit of inspiration. I've had a bunch of clients say they haven't ever uh, in their adult lives related to their families as much. They're having Zoom cocktail hours and (laughs) all kinds of, you know, connection. Uh, I've seen artists offering their art online for free. Uh, I've seen... um, Many stories about healthcare workers, of course, doing amazing things, and also people who are essential workers in other ways. Uh, my own choir that I'm a part of, we have uh, continued to make music, which is a terrible loss because we're not in the same room. Um, we're making virtual music, but the idea that we could continue at all, I find very inspiring. We're now each in our homes making videos that get spliced together and people have volunteered numerous hours to that prospect, uh, to making music that can inspire and lift spirits. And uh, so inspiring to me. I'm lucky to be a part of that. So all this stuff that wouldn't be happening without that is do are we glad it's happening oh god no but i do find it inspiring that people will find a way to make meaning and to um to go forward from bad events and find a way to uh use it in in some in some manner But I do find that because of the way the news media is uh, is set up, I guess I'm media, I'm not quite news though, Um, there does tend to be, the the top of the pile does tend to be um, headlines or um, the worst thing that's happening. Of course it does because that's what we do need to know those things. Um, it's it's kind of more nuanced to be looking for, you know, stories of inspiration or hope. But I think as people who are directly struggling with difficult times, uh, that inspiration is is just crucial. Um, so that word, carry that forward with you. The idea of inspiration. Uh, the other the other day, a few weeks ago, I guess, John Legend and Chrissy Teigen uh, lost a baby 
quite far into pregnancy and they've been sharing uh, sharing that story and it's been of course at first just total grief and then uh maybe a week and a half ago uh john legend sang the song never break at the billboard awards a little shout out to john legend i found it so inspiring because he shared his heart in a way I personally hadn't heard him do in the past. So that's an example of what I'm talking about, that even in response to terrible events, sometimes there's a, a little tiny bit of inspiration that comes at the end of it or further along, some somewhere at some point. So look out for that, uh, especially when you need it. And I'll talk at the end of this about how to tell what you need when, but um, I think I think it's easy to identify when we need when we need inspiration. Uh, it's when we're feeling cynical, when we're feeling like there's no hope, when we're feeling at the bottom of our barrel. Inspiration, huge important part of navigating challenge. It's time for a second break. You can go to weatheringgrief.com. That is my website. You can go to the Good Grief host page where there are links to everything about me, uh, all the ways to find me on social media, etc. And I'll be back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent. Inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been here celebrating seven years of good grief. Good grief, that's a long time. <laughs> I never thought I would do it for this long, but I do love it. I, I love talking with people each week 
about grief and what has come out of it for them, both the hard parts and the wonder of where we go as humans after great loss. Speaking of inspiration, which my, was my subject in the last uh, in the last segment, I find that just incredibly inspiring. If I'm having a low day, all I have to do is look at my bookshelf at all of the incredible work that's come out of people's losses. So I've talked so far about experiencing our feelings, making room for our grief. And I've talked about finding solace and finding comfort, which automatically involves a community of some form or another. I've talked about finding inspiration, about uh, finding things that give us hope, that, that make us feel as if there's meaning to be made. And the last of the four principles that mean a lot to me is, are, is the concept of taking action, of finding what our particular calling is to, to address, to engage uh, in the world uh, in ways that refer to our losses, but, but aren't only about our losses. I'll tell a story about uh, that relates to this show directly. Uh, before the show, quite a few years before the show, I was trying to do the natural thing, which was to write a book about grief. Uh, that was kind of a predictable next step, in having been a grief counselor for a long time and having had the thought that I wanted to take my message out into the world uh, yep, I should write a book. I could not do it. And I can't explain to you why. I am a writer. Obviously, I wrote a novel. <laughs> but I, I could not. That action was not resonating. I'd, I'd try it. No, this isn't it. But I should. But I, could. I couldn't quite understand what was happening. I thought maybe I lacked ambition which isn't the only reason people write, because they're ambitious. But uh, I thought maybe I was just contented with things, the way things were, um, etc. But when the idea of doing this show came along, completely unbidden, honestly, I did not go looking to be a radio host. Uh, and I'm not kidding about that. When it came along, it felt completely resonant. It felt like my thing. And what I believe I learned from that is we all have our ways of taking action that come from something deeper than just thinking it's a good idea. We, and I, I've, I've found that this is more true of people I know who've had deep deep grief experiences, deep loss experiences, and come through that, that somehow we have to learn to trust a less linear part of us, a less logical part of us, and say, well, that doesn't make sense, but it feels right. And uh, we, we tend to learn how to, maybe it's also a matter of being willing to take the risk. Um, it doesn't make any logical sense that the person I was eight years ago would do a radio show. I had to trust that that really would be good 
and it has been for these many seven years. Um, so this this idea of action, you know, if you think for a minute about a time of challenge for you and what you might say came out of it that was unexpected, that was a surprise to you, uh, that that took you off guard, I'll bet you're not necessarily grateful that that thing happened. I, I, I've never been able to imagine being grateful that certain terrible events like my wife's death, I'm not grateful for the, that, that that happened at all. But being grateful for what came out of that eventually, not hard to do at all. I am very grateful that I've had this this work in my life that so deeply satisfies me and that I've had a way to deal with anxiety that's different and fear of death that's different. I'll bet that would be true of you if you think about it. That there's something about those actions that are deeply satisfying and soothing and calming. I've, I've, of course, witnessed this so many times, um, and not just in, in one way. For instance, uh, I had a guest who, when her husband died in a skiing accident, felt compelled to start a literary, literary salon. And the salon didn't have directly to do with her husband's death. And yet I would say that experience of loss is kind of laced into her perspective a bit, but it was just, she had great energy for whatever was gonna give her life meaning past um, the death of her husband. Uh, I, ha I know, uh, I, I interviewed and know a woman named Tembi Locke uh, wrote a beautiful memoir called S From Scratch. After her husband's death, he was a chef. She started doing food equity work. Uh, she also eventually did a lot, of, does a lot of work now in the grief space. But uh, the first thing she did was this food equity work. She was inspired to do that by uh, her experience and by a great love of, of food that honored her husband. So it's not that our actions are gonna be like mine directly related to whatever experience of challenge we've had, but it's it's that they honor that experience in some way. I've, I've developed sort of a, a nose for it. Sometimes I can, I can kind of smell it when even though the person is not talking at all about a loss, um, there's something in the quality of their drive to do a, a thing that often refers to a loss that made it so important either to honor a person or to um, get busy with what they thought was important in their lives. Uh, and that idea that something might come out that we're not just going to suffer that something might come out of our suffering that is valuable to us. I, I just, um, it has changed my life to have that 
that view because grief wants to tell you it'll last forever, it'll get worse, it'll always hurt this bad, and nothing will ever come come out of it. Um, so I'm glad to have the deep belief that that isn't the case. The last thing I want to talk about today that I have gained such a keener sense of, of in this in this seven years is the simple fact that timing is everything. So I've talked about four kind of principles of responding to loss, you know, letting ourselves have the feeling, finding solace and comfort, um, uh, finding inspiration and taking action. But I've noticed that if we're not timely, it doesn't, it doesn't help. Here's, here's a simple example. I've, I've met a lot of people who have tried to put off feeling the feelings of grief by taking immediate action. And that usually backfires. Not that we, not that most people don't need to take a little time to get ready for all those feelings or, you know, don't need to learn how to have them, but action doesn't get us out of the feelings. It, it, um, it contains the feelings. If you act when you haven't had a chance with your feelings, it tends to go awry. And on the other hand, if, you've, if you keep having a persistent uh, idea that you want to take a certain action, but you don't, and instead you're feeling the feelings or just kind of hanging out, sometimes that's actually more, more painful than taking the action. I'm not a particularly um, easy actor. What I mean by that is I think I favor the feeling the feelings and all those other things a little bit more. But if I don't take action, I start getting, uh, getting derailed. I start getting depressed. A lot of people say I do a lot of things, but I never do them all at once. I do them one at a time. So <laughs> I can both look as if I'm taking a lot of action and, and be having a lot of time where I'm not. I, I think this comes down to the idea that grief will tell you what it needs if you're listening, which maybe is the sum up of the hour in a sense. Uh, grief will tell you what it needs if you're listening, if you're letting it speak to you. And then it's a matter of trusting that I, I personally, I can feel the difference between things I wish were true and things that are true. And when I listen to what is true, like a little voice that says, you need to have a good cry you need to take a rest. You need to reach out to that person. You need to look around for some inspiration. I do get these little messages now and I don't question them anymore. I'm just, uh, okay, I'll do that. Because I do think grief will tell you what it needs and, and let it. Um, it relates to a, a statement one of my other guests made, Bill Hayes, he was Oliver Sacks, 
partner right before he died, and he wrote a beautiful book called Insomniac City that had uh, a lot to do with that relationship. But he had lost a partner before that, who he'd been with for a very long time, who died suddenly. And a friend of his said, uh, grief will change you, let it. Ever since I interviewed him, that phrase has lived with me uh, so deeply. Grief will change you, let it. Grief will tell you, listen. Uh, I know I sound as if uh, grief is a person that you know I, I hang out with, and in a way that's true. In a way that's true. Uh, taking tea with grief has taught me a whole lot over the years, and I'm, I'm happy to know the things that I learned from grief. I couldn't possibly have learned them any other way, and certainly not at the depth. So we're almost out of our time together today. It's been really nice to reflect both in the process of getting ready to do this and in sitting with you for this hour. Uh, it's been wonderful to reflect on these seven years and everything that I've been blessed to experience in that time, all the people that I looked, I looked through my guest list and went, oh my goodness, so many amazing people who are doing such incredible work in the world. Uh, I, I just feel really grateful to have found my community. It gives me solace and comfort to know that all these people are, th are out there who, like me, believe that something can come of loss besides just pain, that we as humans have the ability and authority to take what has happened in our lives and make something beautiful out of it and to be inspired in our lives, to be, uh, to be fired up in some way or another. Uh, I wanted to close, I didn't get to interview Albert Einstein on my show, although it would have been incredibly interesting. He's on my short list of people I'd love to talk to that are dead, but because um, he, he was such an interesting person, scientist and mystic, etc. But he says something that has meaning to me. There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. I think that's a very good place to end for today. Thanks so much for listening to All Me for an Hour. I'll be back to conversations next week. Um, please reach out. Let me know what you want the show to do for you from this, from this point forward. Uh, I'm not going off the air. I'm just celebrating the seven years. And um, thank you for the pleasure of having listeners who appreciate these people that, that I appreciate. Next week, I'll have Rebecca Whitehead-Munn to talk about her book, all of Us Warriors, Cancer Stories of Survival and Loss. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.